Good morning, Steelman. My cell phone. It's all right. It's only a cell phone. I just have to begin with three quick announcements. The first thing I want to do is welcome you to the Skillman Church of Christ. It is always a joy to see your smiling faces here on a Sunday morning here in East Dallas. And uh, I know there's a lot of people right now traveling, going all over the United States on adventures. And uh, it's so good to have you guys here to celebrate with us as a church family uh, here and now. We have had an incredibly busy uh, summer here, especially in the children's ministry, and I do have a quick announcement um, that we are in need of people drinking soda. Um, if you can, by chance, help us by uh, purchasing a three-liter soda bottle, and a two, sorry, two-liter, three is too big, two-liter soda bottle, and uh, drinking it or dumping it in your yard, whatever you can do, but I think that we are in need of about 400 of these bottles, and to date, I believe we have 50. Uh, and you know, VBS is coming up, so if you could do, you know, make this world better by drinking some soda or lemonade or ginger ale, uh, but it would help us uh, with the VBS. Uh, the second uh, announcement that I wanted to talk about was: uh, Did you guys see Glenda Hauser's face on here on this uh, bulletin? Well, we have a surprise for you because on July 29th, it's the fifth Sunday, and as custom, uh, we're going to have our fifth Sunday celebration, our family meeting here in the gym after services. Everybody is invited, and uh, what to highlighting this event is Glenda Hauser. Uh, she's going to be the, the headliner uh, for this event, and uh, she's gonna, she's come up with a uh, some stories about Skillman over the years, some stories of people, funny stories, stories that will make people embarrassed, maybe, so you better hope your name isn't one of the people that she, she has on her, uh, on her list, but it's going to be a fantastic lunch, um, and so we'd love for you to be a part of that July 29th uh, at, here in this gym after services, and Linda Hauser will be our headliner. The last announcement... Um, it's also a really cool deal. I know that during Bible class, many of you heard Chuck Stevens. Chuck, are you, will you stand up? Uh, he is a missionary in Rwanda. Uh, does great stuff. Uh, let's give a round of applause. He gave a great, uh, a great presentation. Thank you so much. And uh, we also have, you know, he's in Africa. And how many of you want to go to Africa one day? Kate, my son Kate, raised his hand first. Uh, now, right now, how many of you are going to go to Africa or have been within the, within a month, this month or last month? How many of you have been there? Well, I've got some news for you. Since you can't go to Africa, we're going to bring Africa to you. Uh, we have a ministry that's, that Skillman has been supporting called Rising Star Ministries. It's a, a soccer ministry in Uganda, Africa. And uh, it works, it, it, it's a ministry to children, and it uses the mechanism of soccer. They have a team, about 30 uh, team, teams from Uganda coming to Dallas, and they're going to be staying here at the church uh, on the end of July, and they'll be competing in soccer games. And so we have a pamphlet within your, your bulletin of some urgent needs or some ways you can help out, and also... Uh, ways you can find out more about this ministry, but that'll be they'll they will also be here on July 29th at our family gathering as well. Uh, and so, just wanted to point that out to you 
as some of the great things that are happening here at Stillman. But uh, if you do have your Bibles today, uh, I want to invite you to open your Bible, or if it's on your phone, to open that, press that button to open your app. Uh, we're going to be in our Bibles today, uh, reading some text that is it's amazing. We have started last week, we started a series on the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is, is a book that is written by the Apostle Paul. And as we talked about last week, if you truly read the words in Ephesians, and if you let the truths sink into your soul, it will literally take your breath away. Literally, it's an amazing book that will leave you floored. I still have a memory of Gene. Remember we had that competition last week where we said who could read the, the longest and Jean, I don't know how she was able to outlast everybody with her, with her big breath. Um, but this is it's an amazing book that uh, not only are we going to be preaching about it on Sundays, we'd like to encourage you guys during the week to read this text on a daily basis, uh, multiple times, uh, because it's no surprise. Last week was Ephesians 1, today's Ephesians 2, next week Ephesians 3, and we're going to go all through all six books in six weeks. It's funny that last week, after I got done with the sermon, I had several people come up to me after Sarah May, Jerry Perry, and uh, others. They said, you know, I'm so glad we're reading Ephesians. Because, you know, two weeks ago, or two years ago, or two months ago, I, I began to, to read this book, and it changed me. It literally took my breath away. It impacted my faith. And so uh, this is an exciting series that uh, we are in the text, living the text, and it is a transforming and last week in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we talked about the very purpose of the book as, as being one that answers the question, who are we? Who, who is God? What can we do to join with, with God and what he is doing here and now? And we talked about how the very first verse, it says that it was written by Paul to the church of Ephesians. The church of Ephesians. But it's interesting because if you look at the very first manuscripts, the, the, the earliest manuscripts that were written down, the words in Ephesians were not there. It was blank. It said to the church, and it didn't give a specific location. Later manuscripts, you had the word Ephesians in there. But in the very first and the most reliable, it was blank. And F.F. Bruce, the biblical scholar, he believes that this was uh, an open-ended letter. That Paul had written this letter to any church that would listen. And if you... Read this book of Ephesians. It is, it is almost like Romans, where it's very general. There, there isn't specific areas, but it, out, it, it lays out the gospel in a clear and concise way. It's an amazing, it's an amazing book. And so we thought during these six weeks that we would imagine that it would say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Dallas, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That we would imagine that Paul, several Years ago, thousands of years ago, in the, in the, in the prison in, uh, in Rome, that he would be writing this letter to us as well and read it as, as if we were the recipients of this letter. And so we come now to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2 verse 1, we'll begin the adventure of this second chapter. He begins in verse 1. As for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways 
of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is how it begins the second chapter of Ephesians. This is how it begins in the message verse. That I love the translation that it says. That the message translates these verses as so. It wasn't so long ago that you were mirrored in that old stagnant life of sin. Isn't that beautiful imagery? That old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then ex exhaled disobedience. We all did. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Now, this is an amazing way to start the second chapter, and this is very similar to the book of Romans, that Paul, in Romans, and also in Ephesians, he starts his arguments, he starts his text, he starts his letter with a black canvas, a dark canvas, kind of painting the picture in a negative, dark way, creating a sense of urgency. It's almost like that painter... Rembrandt. We talked about this back in Romans, how the famous painter Rembrandt, he would always start his works with a black canvas. He would paint it in a dark color, and then after the canvas was completely, completely dark, he would begin adding color and texture, and he would, he would add this and that, and next thing you know, he had this amazing work of art, this masterpiece. In a lot of ways, Paul is doing the same thing in Ephesians. He's starting out this text, this letter, remembering who we are as people, that we are broken. That we all start, all of us are starting in the same place. Every single one of us. If you look to your left and to your right, to the back of you, to the front of you, we are all in the same boat. That we start with a place out of brokenness, of pain, of struggle, of hardship. None of us, none of us have that perfect life that we have imagined it to be. None of us are living that fairy tale that's happily ever after. All of us, all of us have some sort of brokenness within us. We are all in need of a Savior. This is how Paul begins the second chapter in Ephesians. It's a start that we all, we are all broken. None of us, and he, he uses the term all of us. In Romans 3, it's the same thing. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. In Ephesians 2, it's the same bit that we have all come to a place in our life where we are in need. We have this hole in our soul that needs to be filled. And I know that if we could go around right, right now and pass the microphone, you know, we would tell stories of how our life hasn't turned out the way that we've wanted it to be. Maybe it's that job that wasn't as awesome as we thought it was going to be. Maybe it's that our bank account right now is a place of stress. And you don't even want to look at the account balance when you draw money out. Or maybe it's that relationship that you put so much hope in that has let you down. You are left broken and alone. 
I think we can all right now, we all have our stories, we all have our place, but what Paul is bringing us to in this first chapter, the second chapter of Ephesians, is that we all are in need. All of us are in need of a Savior. All of us are in a place of brokenness. We all have hardship. We're in this battle together. We are in the bunkers together fighting alongside each other. But then, in verse 4, Paul writes two words that bring hope and bring life and bring joy. In the New King James, he starts verse 4 with, but now, sorry, but God, but God. You have the first three verses, oh man, life is hard, we are broken, life is in shambles, we are all in pain, and it's almost like we're in this TV show where, you know, in those TV shows where there's the main character is in this bad situation, and you can't imagine how they're going to get out of it. You know, and then Paul in verse 4 writes these two words, but God, but God, and it switches it all, man, and it tells us the good news. In the New International Version, in verse 4, it writes, it says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So you have this contrast, you have, are you dying or are you living in verse 4, it talks about, are you, in verse 5, are you alive? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here in verse 4, Paul writes, but God. And then he mentions this word grace two times in a matter of verses. That, yes, the painting was dark. It looked gloom and doom. But God has given us grace. He didn't stop with two. In fact, in verse 8, he, he mentions grace a third time. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Man, there is something here with this word grace, this idea of grace. There's something about it. And the fact that Paul would mention this three times in a matter of verses as the answer to the problems of humanity that God has bestowed upon us is grace. This is awesome news. It's great news. But what, what is grace? How do we define it? How do we define this amazing thing that God talks about as grace? You know, I've heard it growing up, the, the phrase that mercy is not getting what we deserve, but that grace is getting what we do not deserve. So this idea of this gift that we've been bestowed upon, that we don't deserve it. It's almost like if we had this massive debt of $500,000 that we owed the bank. And all of a sudden, some, somebody comes and says, hey, let me repay that 500,000 debt. It is done. You are free from that debt. And you're just blown away by this, and you, know, you have tears running down your eyes, and you're about to, you turn away, you're about to walk away, and he says, stop, there's more. Not only that, 
but I would like to deposit $500,000 more in your bank just because. How would you feel about that if that happened? I mean, that, my friend, would be great. It's getting something that you don't deserve. Not only is the forgiveness of this debt that you have accrued, but also an incredible gift. It's almost like those people who went to that show, that Oprah show. You know that time where they got in that show? Or was, it, was it Ellen? I don't know what show. Some talk show. Where they were in the audience. And Oprah, or Ellen, or I don't know who did it. Who is Oprah? Oprah. Surprised them with a new car. Every single person got out of that show with a new car. Now that, my friends, is unbelievable. It's unthinkable. It's unfathomable. And this is what God is talking about with the gift of salvation. That we have been given a gift that we do not deserve. We all start in the same place of brokenness. And we come away with this incredible gift from God. Not by our works, but just because we are adopted heirs of his kingdom. I mean, do you think that those people at that Oprah show, when they walked out and they came home, that they bragged about themselves for getting that car? I mean, there's no way that they themselves earned that car. This was a gift given to them. I think Paul in here in verse 8 says that... For grace you have been saved. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. So that why? This isn't something that we earned. This isn't something that we completed a checklist and now we have this. This is a gift bestowed upon us by God so that no one can boast. No one can boast. There's a story that I read, and I don't know if this is true, but it's a good story. So I'm going to tell it. And we're going to pretend that it was true. It happened somewhere in England uh, during like, the 50s or 60s. And apparently there was this meeting, this conference, about um, inter, interfaith conference. And it happened in London, and asking, you know, it was a, it was a conference where they were talking about Christianity and what made the Christian faith unique. And I can just imagine in London, they were all sitting in this conference room in their comfy uh, chairs. And maybe in my imagination, they had cigars. And they're just, you know, smoking these cigars in there. Maybe they had scotch. I don't know. This is, you know, my, uh, just my imagination. But they were talking about Christianity and about what made Christianity unique. And uh, one guy says, well, what makes Christianity unique compared to all other religions, is the idea of the incarnation, of Jesus coming from heaven down to earth and living as both human and God. But then someone in the audience said, well, you know, there are some religious groups that also have that element within their faith. So, you know, that, that can't be what is the thing that puts Christianity unique. Well, then another person says, well, could it be uh, the resurrection? Someone living, raising from dead, uh, to life. And then someone in the other across the room said, no, it couldn't, couldn't be that because uh, in other faiths, there are some stories of people being risen from the dead. So, you know, disease story is amazing that way, but you know, there, it's not, that's not the unique factor. As the story goes, somebody stands up and uh, in front of everybody says, here is what it is. Grace. Grace is the unique factor of Christianity that puts it 
apart from all other religious faiths. It's this idea of grace. And as the story goes, this guy was C.S. Lewis, the author uh, of the, the uh, Mere Christianity, uh, the Screwtape Letters. And he gets up there and said, there is no other faith where grace is exhibited, where salvation is given without a condition or a checklist or a one, two, three things to do. That in Scripture, the story that's told in Ephesians and Romans, the story that Jesus tells, this idea that in Christ, we have been given the gift of grace. The gift of grace. And it gets better. In verse 10, Paul continues, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the New Living Translation, I like the translation better that says, for we are God's masterpiece. Handiwork to me kind of sounds like a, a craft, <laughs> like some kind of cra a craft show. Uh, so I like the translation masterpiece better. I think it, it fits more to what the scripture is saying. That in verse 10, that we are God's masterpiece. I want to pause right here before we continue. Is that how you view yourself? Is that how you view yourself in the ways that God sees you? Do you view yourself when you look in the mirror, when you're getting ready for work, or you're going about to leave, and you see a reflection of yourself? Do you, do you say to yourself, wow, I am God's masterpiece? Is that how you view yourself and your work in the world? Because in verse 10, it does say that we are created as God's masterpiece so that we could do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We have purpose. We have work to do. And we are prepared because we are God's masterpiece. Not only has God given us this gift of grace, but he has given us the purpose. The purpose to live out his plans. If we believe in these words, if we let it sink in, it, my friends, it will literally take our breath away. The idea of grace, the idea of this salvation in Christ our Lord, that we have grace, it changes every single thing. It changes the whole ballgame. Because in the rest of chapter 2, Paul talks about how this changes the idea of unity. How this, this idea of grace could bring peace to two groups that are maybe at odds with each other. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their, uh, their hostility. You see, in this text, Paul is using grace as a mechanism to bring the Jews and Gentiles together. But see, we can insert any two groups together with this formula. This idea that there is grace, that any two groups should find peace in this. Because we all begin in the same place. We all begin in a level of brokenness and humility. We all receive this gift that we don't deserve. So... When it comes to having two different groups, we all are on the same boat, in the, on the same page in regard to working out the problems that we have amongst each other. I mean, we have the Jews and Gentiles, we can insert any two groups. I mean, you have, 
you know, Aggies and Longhorns, or you have Republicans and Democrats, or you have older generation, you have younger generation, you have those who live in the city and those who live in the suburbs. You have all, you have two groups, and you can insert any two groups. May we, in our interaction with people that are different than us, whether it's by generation, political affiliation, or whether it's by where we live or where we work, may we take at the very root this idea in Ephesians that the same God that is working in me is working in that person. And that we begin in the same place. And that we have been saved by grace so that we do not boast. That we are not better or worse than any other person. Because we have all been given this amazing gift of grace by God. Finally, in the last part of Ephesians 2, God talks about how we, because of this foundation, are members of this house where the cornerstone is Jesus. In verse 19, Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself. As the chief cornerstone. Beautiful, beautiful words. And as you go off this week, I do have a challenge for you. For each and every one of you. The challenge is for you to go home. For you to read Ephesians 2. Multiple times this week. And when you're reading this text, I, want, I, ask, I encourage you to ask yourself three questions. Three questions. Number one. Is are you living or are you dying? Are you living or are you dying? Because that's what Paul is addressing in Ephesians chapter 2. Is that there is a way of life and there's a way of death. Which are you living here and now? The second question is this. What voices are you listening to? What voices are you listening to to define who you are as a person? Is it... The news channels? Is it the, the, uh, the tabloids? Is it your, your partner? Is it your parents? Is it, is it scriptures? Is it God? What voices are you listening to to define who you are as a person? And the third question is this. As you read Ephesians 2 this week, do you put conditions on God's love for you? Do you put conditions on God's love for you? Do you say, tell yourself, man, God will love me if... I just did this. Or God, God would, would, would care for me if I, if I just did this a little more. Or if I, if I could just do this, then I'd be in right standing with God. Do you put conditions on God's love? And as you read Ephesians 2, these three questions, are you living or are you dying? What voices are you listening to? And do you put conditions on God's love? And I'd be curious to see what responses that you get uh, with your personal meditation on this. To close today, I do want to show just one video. And this video is something that it, it moved me. Because sometimes when it comes to ideas like this that are very theoretic, theoretical and deep, where Paul in Ephesians 2 is setting this the, uh, theoretical, theological framework for what's going to happen later in the text, sometimes it's hard to capitalize or to address it just with words. And that's when poem and song and art come into play. Where sometimes a poem or a song can articulate a truth even better than just speaking it or reading it. 
And I was on Facebook this past week, and one of my friends shared this video of a group singing a song called In Me. And uh, this is a group, uh, it's, it's Keith Lancaster. It's an acapella group where I think he invited several people to his church, and they recorded them singing this song, In Me. And I thought, how beautiful is this a representation of this message? That we come together, all of us, in need of a Savior. And that Jesus Christ is our answer for that. So we're going to dim the lights. And so if you need to use the restroom, get your flashlight ready. <laughs> to uh, uh, Please don't you know, make any sharp movements while the lights are off. Uh, I told Jake to crank up the volume just as loud as, as possible. And uh, you're going to see uh, these people uh, singing a song together. It, it's, it's a song that also, it's a uh, acapella song that really it's honor, honors our heritage within the Church of Christ. Where it's just these people by themselves in a community offering themselves to this God and asking them to be there. And I want you to look at their faces, look at the emotion, and maybe you be moved just like me uh, by this song that really addresses Ephesians chapter 2.
We are people who are in need. And today we proclaim that we have a Savior. That Jesus Christ has been bestowed upon us the gift of grace. Um, if you want to be baptized in the name of Christ and receive this gift, uh, we offer that invitation right now. If you need prayers, we offer that invitation right now. But let us stand together as a community. May we sing as these people have by the faithful love of our Lord and Savior. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?